All right. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Praise the Lord. You know what? I've just felt like in my heart, it just seems like everything's been so abnormal this year. It just feels like I've never been more excited to sing Christmas songs. I don't know about you all, but I, you know, and, and I'll tell you something. Uh, I've heard people say that they celebrate the birth of Jesus all year. I would actually be for singing Christmas songs, you know, at different times over the year because I love the songs, but we only sing them um, at this time of year, which I'm really thankful that we have a time of the year where we can recognize the birth of Christ. And so isn't it wonderful just to be able to come in the house of the Lord? And those songs are beautiful songs about this part of the Bible where Jesus was born. And I just feel like this year it's so important to just feel that Christmas joy, that real joy that you feel this time of the year when we recognize when Jesus Christ was born. How many agree with that? Hallelujah. So the title of my message is Christmas Joy, which I think is very important. If you would turn with me in to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to start in um, verse 1. It says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, census, from what I understand, was taken roughly about every 14 years. And so Caesar Augustus made a decree, and it was a regular interval decree that we should take a census of the entire world. Part of it was for military service. Part of it was for taxes. big part of it was taxes because I, I believe the Jewish people were exempted from military service, so they weren't um, didn't take a census for that. But he had a census of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Luke's very careful to always give you periods of history so you can confirm what he's saying. So he's uh, giving you a ruler of Syria, and he's saying this was the first one during that administration. How many appreciate the detail of Luke, which I do? He goes on, and he says, um, And everyone went to their own town to register, which I think is awesome. Um, how many know that um, the angel came to Mary and declared to her that she was going to have a child? And so she already knew that something, she was, uh, as you can imagine, astonished. She was a very, very young girl, and uh, here she was pregnant with a child, but she was a virgin. And so this was an amazing thing, and she probably was confused she probably was a little scared. She was very young by everybody's account, a very young, probably teenager. And so this is a difficult time for her. But it says that this census, time-wise, matched up perfectly with her pregnancy. Isn't that amazing? That a 14-year censor, every 14 years, matches up perfectly with her pregnancy? Uh, she probably didn't think it was so perfect, right? Because she was 
about to deliver and she had to travel. Let's look at that. It says, so they had to go to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee of Judah to Bethlehem, the town of David. So remember, that's very important. They went from Nazareth down to Bethlehem to the south. And uh, get this, that's a 67-mile trip. So imagine this great timing again that Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. You know, Jesus Christ is in her womb. And it lines up perfectly with this census where you have to travel 67 miles. And you say, well, no big deal. Um, I'll just um, take a plane. I'll be there a few hours, right? Or I'll hop in the car and, you know, my husband will do the driving. wasn't that way. Very rugged 67 miles, and she's about to give birth. And notice very carefully as we get into the story here, because I want to give you some details that maybe I haven't heard before, but Joseph had to go to the town of his family to register. Now his family, when you notice in this scripture that I just read, is the town of David. So Joseph is from the family of David, and he's actually going to the birthplace of David. David was born in Bethlehem and then reigned in Jerusalem. So he's going back to the hometown of David, which is his family, which is very important because there are over 300 prophecies that are fulfilled in this child that's about to be born from this teenage mother. And so one of those details are that he will be born in Bethlehem. Very difficult to be born in Bethlehem when you live in Nazareth. But very nice if you could be born in Bethlehem and then be a man from Nazareth, which the Bible also prophesies. So 67 miles apart, Augustus Caesar is fulfilling prophecy. By calling the census, it allowed Joseph to be required to go home with much hardship. He had to travel the 67 miles, but he fulfilled a prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem. And so it doesn't stop there. He goes on, and it says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and rejoice, or, or I'm sorry, and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, we need to be really careful here because we all have these beautiful nativity scenes and we think we know what the manger is. We think we know what the swaddling clothing is. And in those days, it didn't mean what it means today. You know, when we say manger... We just think to ourselves, a beautiful little baby crib, just like my nativity scene. And uh, in those days, when they heard that, they they thought more like barn animal, stall, and feeding trough. In fact, it's more than just a feeding trough. It's actually the stall. So she put strips of clothing on the baby and put him in a stall in the feeding trough. And... The strips of clothing even is a little unusual if you heard it in that day because that's actually how they wrap the animals up in the stall in the feeding trough. 
So it's language of a lamb being wrapped up in cloths and put into a, a stall after her mother had given birth to her. And so this language is very unusual, but we don't always catch it because we think of, you know, the things that we've heard about Christmas. And so as I'm going along here, then it says in Luke uh, verse 8, it says, And in the same region, that's very important, in the same area or the same region, or some of your Bibles will interpret that in the same country. Okay, that doesn't mean that one was in the United States and one was in Canada, or one was in Israel, one was in Syria. When it says in the same country or the same region or the same area, it just means they're in the same little area here. They're not moving out of this one little location that the Bible's talking about here. It says in the same region there were shepherds. So in the same little area where this baby was born and wrapped up in clothing and put in a feeding trough in a stall, there were shepherds in that same area out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. So remember, I'm trying to repaint the picture because you may already have a picture of Christmas They were in the same area, out in the field at night, and an angel appeared to them, but they're in the same little area where this baby has been wrapped up and put in a feeding trough in a stall. And the angel comes to them, and the angel says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Wow. So what we're studying today is, from an angel, good news of great, incredible joy. So whatever's happening on this night is great joy to anybody that hears it. And so we should be preaching it, shouldn't we? We should be celebrating it, right? Because this is something of great joy. It's not every day that angels come and say, this is the day of great joy. Celebrate what you're about to see right here. So it'll be great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in what? The city of David is what they call Bethlehem because David's hometown. The city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, And it will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough in a stall. Think of it that way, in a manger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would um, draw us in by your Spirit, Lord God. Let us be a part of this scene, Lord God, what's happening, the greatness of this moment. And Lord, fill us with that joy, Lord God, that everybody who's seen it that night was full of, Lord, joy. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, pour it upon this church. You said it's brought by you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who brings the fruit of joy to your people. And do it today. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I was studying a... um, I mean, I've heard of the song, Joy to the World. They say it's the most most played Christmas song um, in the 20th century is Joy to the World. And uh, so I was reading, a, I just came across an illustration talking about Isaac Watts uh, from the 1700s. And uh, he was a teenager and he was a little bit, um, I don't know, he probably was a little tough to deal with as a teenager. 
It says that uh, he would sit in church and he told his dad one day as a teenager, he said, Dad, he said, uh, all the songs we sing are boring. And uh, his dad, kind of annoyed, said, well, son, why don't you go home and write some songs that aren't so boring? And so the very next week he wrote his first hymn because uh, he thought the songs were boring. And uh, and, and Isaac Watts, evidently, and I, I got a kick out of this, not relevant to my sermon, but he had a habit of walking around the house because he wanted to write hymns, and he would uh, rhyme everything. And so finally his dad had had enough. He said, if you don't stop rhyming, um, I'm going to wear you out. And so anyway, he ended up getting disciplined. Um, and while he was being disciplined, he said, shout. What did he say here? I got a kick out of this. While he was being disciplined, he said, Oh, Father, do pity take, and I will no more verses make. <laughs> As he walked off from a spanking. And so <laughs> he was very controversial in his um, hymns that he would write. Because before Isaac Watts, the uh, majority opinion was you don't paraphrase. You use it word for word from the Bible. And if it's not word for word from the Bible, then we don't sing those songs. And Isaac Watts would take something he read, and in his own words, he would say what he felt, felt like the Lord was doing in his heart. So he took Psalm 98, and um, you know, Psalm 98 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, uh, burst into jubilant song with music. And he took Psalm 98, and he turned that into joy to the world, because he recognized that God wanted the entire world to have joy because of the child that was that was born on that day, you know, and um, so he wrote that song. It was controversial, and and now it's one of the most famous songs. And and I got to be honest, you, th- there's not too many lyrics to songs that are better than "Joy to the World." The Lord has come. Uh, let the earth receive its King. And uh, that's exactly what was happening that day. the The King of the Earth was being born. And uh, he was saying joy to the world, which is awesome to me. Um, but everything about this moment, if you really begin to look at it, everything about the moment is just very, you almost have to take every little second of Jesus' birth and break it down and study it to understand all the mechanical things that are in movement with his birth and his coming to the earth. And so sometimes we gloss over that. Sometimes we read the Christmas story and we just kind of gloss over the very incredible details. And so today I'm not going to study all the details, just a little area of details. And that's where, number one, where Jesus was born is very incredible. And so Bethlehem, it helps to know where Bethlehem is at. So if you look at Jerusalem, and you look south of Jerusalem, there's a road that comes out of Jerusalem to the south, and that road leads to Bethlehem. And then you go a little further, it leads to Hebron. But as you're going, let's say you're heading north into Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is just below, it's six miles from Jerusalem on that road. And if you look to the left... There's a giant area there of pasture land. So if you look at Jerusalem, and I didn't realize that until I actually went there, it's almost all rock. 
Everything around it is rock. It's just not a whole lot of pasture land. It's just rock. And then all around even Bethlehem is what's called the Judean wilderness, and it's just nothing but rock. And so there's not a whole lot of patches of pasture to, you know, to graze. And so right as you come out of Jerusalem, it's important that that six-mile stretch to the west of the road is all pasture land. And so that particular pasture is very critical because in Jerusalem, in the temple, they were constantly sacrificing lambs. And so if you lived in that area and you understood that area, you would realize that Bethlehem is important, number one, because all of the lambs that go to the temple were in that little pasture there. And so they were constantly, they were even sacrificing in the time of Christ. And so constantly they were preparing lambs that were going to be used not only for Passover, but also daily sacrifices. And so everything came from that little pasture. And the shepherds that they speak of here, it's very important to know who's working in that pasture. Because normally a shepherd um, is about the lowest person on the rung of the employment ladder. You know, they're always away because they're always watching the sheep. They're usually up in the hills. They're out in the field. They usually, um, sheep, when you raise them, you'll have the smell of lanolin on you and different odors that you have. And so you'll smell a little bit. Uh, You'll be dirty because the work you're doing is usually dirty work, you know, fixing fences you know, just doing all kinds of, you know, they're milking the sheep, they're shearing the sheep, they're birthing, you know, new lambs. They're, and they're just not considered. Every authority in that period of time says they're about the lowest of the low. Now, these were unique shepherds, though. These shepherds actually had certain requirements about how the sheep were taken care of. They had to be really careful about how they took care of the sheep because they were going to the temple. So they had to obey every law that came to the care of the sheep. So they were especially well cared for sheep. The facility that they used was especially clean. And they were uh, Levitical in in their um, bloodline. So these were Levites that were shepherds. And so they weren't just... Uh, uneducated shepherds, they were shepherds that were raised in Levitical law. And they were raised in what the Messiah is supposed to be and where he's supposed to come from. And this is why it gets important. Because you begin to study in Genesis, you say, wow, all the way back to Genesis for this? Genesis 35, verse 16, you begin to see a distinct geographical area that begins to come on the scene. And this is Jacob, but now he's called Israel. And Israel's wife, Jacob's wife, is actually giving birth to their last child. His name is Benjamin. And Benjamin was born at a very difficult time. You know, they were traveling through Bethlehem. And as they're traveling through Bethlehem, she begins to go into labor. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Very similar to a shadow of Mary who would come later. But this is way, way back. I mean, this is back during the time of Jacob in Genesis. And she gives birth to Benjamin and she dies. So at that point when she dies, there's a place in Bethlehem called the tomb of Rachel. And so Rachel is buried there. It's a very special place. 
And it's right there in Bethlehem. And then it says Jacob, after she passed away, moved a little bit further ahead, which isn't very far from Bethlehem to this little country area in this pasture. And it says in that pasture there was a tower there. And the tower is called Migdal Eder. Migdal means tower. Eder means the flock. So it's called the Tower of the Flock, and it was there in Jacob's day. Very well-known building. In fact, it was brick, it was circular, and it was used as a watchtower for the sheep. And so Genesis makes a real clear reference to this tower that was in the middle of the pasture that watched over all the sheep, and it's right there on the outskirts of Bethlehem, but it's part of Bethlehem, part of the city of David. And you say, well, man, why is this important? I told you there's a lot of details about this story that we don't always understand. So Micah, the prophet, during a time when um, the children of Israel were, you know, really hopeless, they were, they, they really were in a time where they needed a prophetic word and they needed some hope and they needed to know what God was going to do. They were really down. And God gives this amazing prophecy in Micah 5, 2. And it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Wow. You're looking at me like, well, that happens every day. He's saying that this little patch of pasture about the only place you could have all those sheep for the temple, and this giant tower, um, he says that out of Bethlehem Ephratah, which Ephratah, Bethlehem's tiny. Ephratah's really tiny. Okay, it's mainly for sheep, all right? And so he says out of Bethlehem Ephratah is going to come a ruler who's from ancient of times. Meaning this isn't a normal ruler, this is one that was... There in the beginning, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. Micah gets in even more detail. In Micah chapter 4, listen to this. As for you, tower of the flock of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So he's talking about this tower in Bethlehem, Ephratah, And these are two Old Testament prophecies. You say, well, why is it important? Because everybody who was in the Levitical line knew that that tower was special. They knew that the tower that watched over the flock, and they wrote about it extensively in what's called the Mishnah, which is the teachings. They got together their best scholars, and they had teachings. They wrote them out. And the Mishnah said that the Messiah will be born in the tower of the flock. And so Jesus, here comes his mother. She's almost ready to give birth. She's went on a 67-mile journey. Uh, The timing is perfect for him to be born in Bethlehem. They go into the town. No rooms are available. Nowhere can they stay. You know what would have happened if a room would have been available in town? So the room wasn't available, 
So it says, because there was no room in the town for the inn, they went and they stayed in a place where they kept sheep. Now, the historian Eusebius says geographically that's a thousand paces from the town. So a thousand paces just outside the outskirts of town is a giant tower that is pretty clean. And it was the the bottom floor, they said, was there to house the, the sheep that were giving birth to lambs. It was a whole birthing center for sheep. And so the shepherds, they're out on the field... And an angel comes to them, and remember, we're not, there's no star at this point. The wise men come and they follow the star, but the shepherds, all the shepherds had was a message. Said, hey, don't be afraid. This is going to make you really, really happy and joyful. You're going to be so joyful when you hear what's happening. Because those shepherds, get this, those shepherds knew that in that tower one day there would be a Messiah who was from the Ancient of Days, and that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, in the tower. Because they were raised Levites. They were raised to take care of sheep. And so these shepherds are like, you know what? Here's the message. You're going to find a baby wrapped up in cloths. And they're like, well, wait a minute. We know about that. See, every time a lamb was born... They were extremely cautious with those lambs. Because remember, they had to go to the temple and they had to be without defect. Had to be without deformity. They couldn't have a bad leg or a lame leg. And you know, when a new lamb is born, it could possibly have a bad leg from laying the wrong way or being put in the manger the wrong way. And so what they had to do was they took all these strips of clothing and wrapped the lamb up so the lamb couldn't move and hurt himself. They had to have all that cushion around this lamb so he wouldn't harm himself, he wouldn't be deformed, he wouldn't have a blemish, because they were going, their destiny was to go to Jerusalem, that six-mile journey, and be sacrificed. And every one of those lambs represented what? God's lamb that he was going to give the world because he loved them. All of those lambs represented God's own son. And so... They knew they, in their mind when they heard swaddling cloths, they had a whole pile of them for every lamb that was there. That's why they were at watch at night. Because they had to, uh, you couldn't watch from the tower, right? At night. Think about it. You're watching over the sheep. You're watching for predators. You're watching for um, anything that might harm them. How are you going to see them from the tower? So where would you be? You'd have to be with them. You'd have to be where they're at. You'd be on watch there, you know. And, and the other thing you had to really watch was you had somebody had to be in what we would call the nursery. You know, there's always lambs that are being birthed. So here's the sheep, and I want to put you in their place. God says, I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is going to be, you're going to see a baby wrapped up in those same cloths that you use so there won't be a blemished lamb. There's going to be a baby wrapped up in those to keep warm. And he's going to be in one of your feeding troughs and one of your stalls. And they leapt and they said their joy was just outrageous. I mean, they were exceeding joy because they weren't following a star. They're following the Word of God. 
They knew that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, in that tower, and they were following the word of God and the word of God. Do you notice that the angel didn't say, okay, now I'm going to tell you which trough he's in. You know, there were people that had animals and there were other places where people raised sheep, but never do they tell them where the baby is at. Now why? They knew exactly where he was at. They said, you're going to find in your tower that baby, and he's going to be wrapped up like a lamb, and he's going to be in there, and that's going to be a sign that God has sent his son, and this is the one from the Ancient of Days. Do you get goosebumps? And so they don't have to be told where it's at. They immediately hear the message from the angels. They go directly to the place where the lambs are being birthed. And you could just, I can just hear, and see, it wasn't a place where you had donkeys and cows, and it was sheep, all sheep. And they were all destined for the temple. And I just, I just can't imagine the scene walking in there and just walking around the stalls and, and like, look. Man, there's Joseph, there's Mary, and there's the one that is the Ancient of Days. Can you imagine? The one that over 300 prophecies, we've waited, the the center of the entire galaxy, the center of the entire world is laying in a lamb's stall, and God is loud and clear saying, this is my lamb. This is the one I promised. This is the one we've been waiting for. And joy filled their hearts. And that's what the joy of Christmas is. And that's what I'm going to get into in a minute, how we can have that all the time. But when you are led by the Word of God and you look into the eyes of your Savior and and, and you realize that that is the Ancient of Days and this is the one I've been waiting for and this is the person that God sent and this is my only hope sitting in that feeding trough. Something happens to you. Something changes inside of you. And so that was very, very important. The location of where the child was. But then my thing that really grabbed me and the thing that all week I've been really thinking about is Christmas joy. And um, those shepherds were so joyful when they heard and when they seen. Everybody was exceedingly, in fact, to the highest, it says, joyful. And so I started thinking, you know, what was life like as a shepherd? I don't think they had a lot. I don't think they owned a lot. I don't think they were well-respected. I don't think, but man, the joy that filled those shepherds after they found out that the God of heaven was born in that stall, just like we've been taught our whole life. He was born, and that joy just overflows. And and a lot of the, you know, when you talk about Christmas joy, you can watch Hallmark movies, right? And they all end the same. They discover the Christmas joy, right? They're all the same. I'm going to give it away, and you're going to be mad because I gave away the ending. But they find out, right, it's not about money. They find out it's not about their busy schedule. They find out it's not about all those other things. You know, Jimmy Stewart, let me give away the end of the movie. I'm going to spoil What's a Wonderful Life for you. 
but you've had like 80 years to watch it. Okay? He still lived in the drafty house. You know? He still didn't travel the world. Right? If you watch the movie. And what I'm telling you, there's something about joy. The movie's got one thing wrong. It's not about a good feeling. It's not about an emotion. They are right. It's not about money. It's not about material things. It's not about all those things. But what they got wrong is joy in the Bible is always centered around that one person that was born that day. And happiness, I'm here to tell you, is not the same as joy. See, happiness is something good happened to me and I'm in a good mood. Joy is I understand what that child means to the world. I understand that I may still live in the drafty house. I may still have the same financial problems, but in just a little while, I'm going to rule and reign with Christ. And it's not that much longer. And I know that child, and I know that person, and I know that one that God sent to die for me, and something happens, and the Bible says it's a fruit of the Spirit. You begin to have joy. Joy unspeakable. Like, I can't even tell you how happy I am. I can't even tell you how much I love the Lord. Well, what happened to you? Did you win the lottery? No, that's happiness. Happiness can come and go just as fast as you had that emotion. It can go away. Joy is different. Joy is my house burnt down. I can't pay my bills. But you know what? I know Jesus. (laughs) I know the Lord. There's people in foreign countries right now that would put us to shame. They don't know their next meal, but they're full of joy. They're full of the hope of Jesus Christ, and they're they're so excited about the you know living their life out, and they have true joy. And you know you can't get joy. You can be happy with a lot of things, but it's fleeting. You can only get joy through the one that said joy to the world. Let the whole earth celebrate. Let everybody celebrate. Let everybody celebrate the fact that God sent His Son and He was so careful and so cautious and so meticulous. He sent Him exactly the way He said He was going to send Him, the exact place where He was going to send Him. Everybody in the world was obedient to the commands of the Lord. Even the uh, ruler of the Roman world, Augustus Caesar, made sure that he fulfilled God's prophecy. Like it or not. And so true joy... If there's anything that this season, which like I said, I'm so happy that the world celebrates the birth of Christ around the world right now. And if there's anything the Bible clearly says we should get out of the birth of Christ, it's joy. Joy. And every song, you know, that's a true Christmas song, sings about joy and joy to the world, and joy at the Savior, and what an amazing, wonderful, awesome person he is. So I wrote down a few things here that... How to find joy. How to find joy. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody said, man, if I had 20 presents, I'd be joyful. 25, I'd even be more joyful. 
30, I would be crazy joyful. You know, and, and how many know there's all kinds of things that people think will bring joy, and they just, it's not the biblical joy. It's not the joy of Jesus Christ. Shepherds didn't come into a lottery ticket that night to be happy. They recognized what he, he was. How about this? Joy is something you can lose. Did you know that? You can lose your joy. You know how I know that? Because David said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy that I used to have, Lord. Let me know you can lose it. You can lose that joy, and I'll tell you the things that will destroy your joy. The cares of this world. And God's just saying, you know, it's not going to be very much longer, church. You get that reality of that, what Jesus represents, that hope of heaven. All right, that's why they were excited. The shepherds' lives didn't change that night. Let me know that. They still had the same job. All right, they still had the same bank account. Right, they had the same debit card, right? I'm just making sure everybody's following me. (laughs) Nothing changed, but they were joyful. They had real, true. You can't call it joy. It's not happiness they had. They had real joy. But you can lose it. And if you're not careful, you can really lose it at Christmas. And you know what? I'm joyful year-round, but especially when I'm thinking about what happened when God sent His Son into this world. You say, well, I prefer to think of Him as dying. I only celebrate when he died. Really, well, I celebrate his whole life. I celebrate when he was born. I get excited. I'm sorry. I, I got goosebumps thinking about how he was born and how God did it. And and um, But don't lose your joy at Christmas. You say, well, man, I don't have any money, and I wanted to do this for my kids, and I wanted to do that. And I'm telling you, the joy of the Lord is what God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to get it stolen from us. Hallelujah. How about this? You want to have joy. Joy is found in God's presence. Psalm Psalm 15 says, You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand and pleasure forevermore. If you can learn how to get in God's presence, there is joy at His right hand and pleasure forevermore. Like you say, well, man, that would be good when I get to heaven. No, just learn how to get in His presence. If you're stressed about material things, you're stressed about your finances, you're stressed about family situations, learn to turn it off. And get into his presence and just, you say, well, what do I do? Have a list and just keep going over my list repetitiously every day. Make sure God will bless me. No. Throw that list to the side and just say, Lord, I love you. And I just want to worship you. I want to love you. And you say, well, how can that help me? Just telling somebody I love him. Because if you'll shut your mouth enough and spend enough time with him, you'll hear, I love you. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Real soon you're going to be with me. It's kind of like living in a household that's dysfunctional and harsh. 
and you get a phone call and say, you know what, I'm taking you out of there real soon. You, you just be patient and know I'm taking you out of that situation real soon. You say, well, man, that's not that big of a deal. Well, what if you're abused? What if it was a harsh environment? What if it was a bad environment? And church, I'm telling you, a lot of you have your hopes in this world, and that's what kind of world we live in. This world is abusive. It's harsh. It's difficult. And uh, you need that phone call that says, hey, just a little while, you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And some of you have never been in God's presence and heard him talk back. It's all been one-sided, and you've never heard God say, I love you. You are somebody. You're worth something. I've got a future for you. I've got a hope for you. And all you're ever hearing is the enemy say, life's bad. It's hopeless. It's helpless. You know, it's not going to get any better. I mean, how many know that? Some people have never found joy in his presence, and, and that's what this season's about, you know. That child that was in that stall, in that uh, um, feeding trough, God said, I tell you, there's so many parts of this we could study. But he says, that's Emmanuel. That baby represents Emmanuel. And you say, well, that don't mean anything to me. Who's Emmanuel? It means God is actually with us right now. And so, man, when you get a hold of that and you say, man, God's with me. You know, I was directed by the word to find him, and now he's in my heart, and now he's in fellowship with me, and now he tells me he loves me. That's something, church. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shout myself. There is joy when you do the right thing. That's called living righteously, like waking up every day and saying, God, and how many have seen these Hallmark movies? It's like, now that I've got the Christmas joy, it's no longer about me. I'm preaching Hallmark movies. That's an anointing, man. You know that? What do they do? They immediately are no longer selfish. It's no longer about you. It's about what can I do to give to other people? What can I do to spread this joy that I have during Christmas? And God wants us to be full of that joy. But when you do right, you're full of joy. When you give, you're full of joy. And you're like, well, man, I like receiving, and that makes me joyful. Well, you haven't got a hold of joy yet. Joy is about giving. Joy is about spreading that thing that you know about Jesus Christ and the world to come and everything that God's doing to bless us. It says in Psalm, Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. Hallelujah. You say, man, I don't know. I need uh, Clarence the angel to come and teach me about joy. No, you need to get the Lord, get full of the Holy Spirit. You You need to get the Lord to shine His light on you, it says and the joy of those whose hearts are right. Here's another one, Ecclesiastes. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. You say, well, I can't just work it up. I can't just have a state of mind and act happy. No, people will see right through your smile, and it'll disappear when things go bad. But here he says God gives it. God gives joy. And how many have ever done that? How many have ever walked out of... You know, you know, got out of bed in the morning, put your foot on the ground, and everything that's messed up is still messed up, but you got the joy of the Lord. And you're like, man, it won't be long, Lord. I want to go out and I want to spread this joy. I want to help other people. But you don't have anything, Chad. Shut up. Enemy, enemy gets in your ear and says you have nothing. You know, you don't this, you don't that. I'm talking about getting up in the morning and receiving joy 
from the Lord that says, hey, today's the day. And I am going long today because I talked to Chris and he missed service. And he told me, I love it when you go long. So thank Chris when we're done that I'm going long today. Everybody make sure. (laughs) Joy is found in God's Word. You know, when you hear God's Word, it brings joy to your heart. Listen to this. Psalm, I would give you the actual verses, but my eyes are messed up today. Psalm 119, 111, I believe. Could be 11, though. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Meaning, what you're telling me to do in my life, God, they are the joy of my heart. Like, I live to do what you tell me to do in the Word. I want to be what you want me to be, Lord. Joy is produced by hope. Saw our Proverbs chapter 11. It says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. And see, if I told you, if I told you that you had a rich relative that was going to give you $50 million, but it's deferred, you're not going to get it for 20 years. Boy, the joy... The joy. You have no idea what I'm getting in 20 years. Yeah, look at me now. I don't have much, but in 20 years, and you know what? We'll be full of joy for 20 years over what we're getting in 20 years. But you could be a 60-year-old and not be confident that you're going to live another 20 years and have no joy when we know the wealth of the right, wicked is stored up for the righteous and we're going to inherit the earth, and we'll be much richer than $50 million. No joy. You ever think about it? When this world is over, we will inherit the earth. We will have unlimited riches. We'll have unlimited... The world that we live in is going to be incredible, and some of us, it's not going to be long. We're going to, there's some that we know that are already enjoying their inheritance. And we can't get excited. <laughs> we can't be happy. It says the hope of the righteous, hope of the righteous brings joy. And so if we're not, we don't have joy because of our inheritance, then we're reading the wrong book. Because this book brings joy because of the hope we have. You say, well, man, I want to make it in this world. Really? Well, I'll do okay in this world, but man, I want to make it in the world to come. I'm excited about the world to come. I'm, I'm excited about it. In fact, the Bible says, hope deferred. <laughs> when the hope is deferred, it makes your heart homesick. It makes it sick. Because I want to be with the Lord, you know? You say, oh, I might die. I might die. Church, we got to get a hold of this joy. Joy, and it's not just, man, December, I got it. Let's have it in January, in February. Hallelujah. I might have to do Christmas sermons every month now, just to make sure. John says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be full. 
having a prayer life, you say, so let me get this straight. If I go into the prayer room and I throw a nickel into the well, he'll do what I ask. That, my friend, is a fishing well, or a wishing well, not a fishing well, wishing well. I've fished for coins, maybe. But prayer, when you've been in God's presence and you begin to line yourself up with His will, you say, well, why did He answer my prayer? Because it probably wasn't lined up with His will. But when you start understanding through the Spirit how to line yourself up with His will, and you get an answered prayer through His will, church, I'm blown away when I get an answered prayer. Because a lot of times I didn't even ask of my own will. He told me to ask. <laughs> a lot of my answered prayers, he actually told me to ask. Because I'm too dumb to ask. I heard a lot of amens when I said too dumb. <clears throat> but when you line up with God's will and you get answered prayer, he says he wants you to have answered prayer because you want your joy to be full. And church, can I tell you something? I'm so full of joy because the way God has answered my prayers over the years. But I went through a whole process of learning how to have unanswered prayers and being out of His will. But now I know how to be in His will, line up with His will, and get answered prayer, and I'm full of joy. So joy, if you want it, is found in answered prayers. Hallelujah. Chad, these are difficult ways to get joy. Can you just tell me where the factory is? How many would like there to be a factory for joy? Like, man, if we had a factory like that and it definitely had joy and they could bottle it and we could buy it, I would actually drive a good distance to get it. And that way when I'm down and I'm depressed and I've lost it, then I can just fill up on it. Right? How many think so? Well, I know where the factory's at. Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. A little farther down it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces joy inside of us. It produces love inside of us as it produces joy. And you say, man, if I just let the Holy Spirit work in my life, I'm going to have joy. You know what? God will give you joy when you get restless and the preacher's going too long. He'll actually give you joy. Maybe if I had more Holy Spirit, He would work through my words and make you joyful right now. I always like the part of the service when everybody starts grabbing their colts and they start fiddling around. And you really, I really felt pressured to have a closing prayer right at that moment, but I'm not. But the Holy Spirit, you know, the better your relationship is with the Holy Spirit, it's a producer, a manufacturer of the joy that God wants you to have in your heart. When I get closer to the Holy Spirit, I'm more full of joy. When I forget about joy and forget about the Holy Spirit, I'm looking for happiness. And boy, happiness is a whole different equation. I need things to make me happy. And that's not the right way to go. Right? And I've only got two more. Hallelujah. But I'm going to take my time with them. Philippians 5 says, 
I thank my God for you every time I think of you and every time I pray for you all. I pray with joy because of the way in which you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first until the till now. I mean, oh, there's joy in seeing people around you grow. See, when you pour into people, have you ever poured into somebody and you've seen them be blessed? That's joy. You say, we're back to that again. It's not receiving, it's giving. It's pouring out into other people. And I think Paul, I think a big source of Paul's joy You say he had to have a lot of joy because he was taking beatings where his flesh was gashed open and sitting in prison and he's singing songs and worshiping and and just having a good time. He's like, hey, you know, my ribs are hanging out here and I've been beaten really bad and but he's full of joy. And you know what? I think he's being very truthful here. I think every city that he went to and he's seen them growing in God, he was just filled with joy. And church, there's something about that. There's something about pouring into God's kingdom. I, I preached a sermon a few weeks ago about being rich in God. And there's something about investing in God's kingdom and forgetting about yourself and pouring yourself on other people. There's a joy that you just can't explain and you can't replicate it. It's, it's an amazing joy. And last... It says in Psalm 40, All the joys of those who trust the Lord. There's amazing joy and peace when you just trust the Lord. And you say, well, Chad, it's never been this way. It's never been this hard before. (laughs) It has. And when you trust the Lord, He's going to fill you with joy. And you say, well, no, I'm worried. I want to watch... You know, I want to make sure I know what's going on with the election. I want to make sure I know what's going on in the world. I want to fight the pandemic. I want to stand up and fight communism and socialism. And and you know what? That'll steal your joy. I'm not saying that you're doing bad things. I'm just saying those who trust in the Lord above everything else, above my efforts, above what I can do to change the world, just say, hey, Lord, you know what? I trust you. I trust you now more than I ever did. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about what's happening in the world because I trust the Lord. You say, well, they plan awful well, Chad. You just don't know what you're saying. No, I trust the Lord because there's nothing done in darkness to the Lord. The Lord sees everything and and the Lord is sovereign over everything. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with this verse. Uh, Nehemiah was going through a very difficult time with the people. They were trying to build the walls around Jerusalem. They were attacked by enemies day and night. They had to actually sleep with their swords. And, you know, we're not doing that yet. And he told them to be careful. Do not grieve, he said. Remember, grieving is the opposite of having joy. Right? So don't grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to be weak in the world that we live in and struggle with dealing with the world we live in? Then don't have joy. Be a joyless Christian. But the Bible says if you're a joyless Christian, you're going to be weak to fight the enemy. 
And so it's not just a, a recommendation to be joyful, or it'd be a good thing, or people will like you more, or you'll be more successful if you smile more. It's not any of those things. It's if you want to be strong, you have to have joy. You have to understand joy. You have to understand where it comes from. You need to know where the factory's at. So you can fill up anytime you want in that prayer room. <laughs> or build a prayer room at your house and manufacture your own. Stay out of my warehouse. All right? There's enough for everybody in there. You say, well, man, I'm sure glad we have a food bank. I'd rather have a joy bank. I'd rather have a place where people could fill up with joy. You can fill your belly and still be grieving and depressed. But man, you fill up on the Holy Ghost and He starts manufacturing joy and all those things. You'll, look, you'll, you'll actually be like a Hallmark movie. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love You, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love You, Lord God. Lord, if You didn't do a... Another thing for us, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we're so excited about our future, Lord. Oh, Lord, we celebrate the hope of your glory, the hope of heaven, Lord God, the hope of our inheritance. Lord, our eyes are fixed on it today and every day, Lord. Fill us, Lord God, full of the hope that produces that joy. Oh, Lord, let us walk out of this place full of joy, Lord. Let us find the source of the joy. Oh, and Father, let us not only be full of it, but let us spread it, Lord. Spread that Christmas joy, Lord God, that you filled us with. Hallelujah. Do it, Lord. You need prayer this morning. Uh, we're here. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, we're here. We want to pray with you, talk with you. But I would just really encourage you, we're going to sing here, and I just want to let the joy of the Lord fill your hearts. Fill your hearts. And, you know, your family needs that joy. And the enemy will do everything to destroy it. And so just let God fill you today. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me full of joy. Let me get my mind off of the temporal things. Hallelujah. the hearts of every person in the sanctuary, every person that is watching online, Lord God, every living room, let it be full of your glory, Lord God, full of joy, Lord. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us, everything you've given us, Lord, everything you've blessed us with, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you would bless each person, Lord God, your body. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody said...